Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to Scran, the podcast passionate about the Scottish food and drink scene. Have you ever looked at the remains of an old building or castle and thought, what would it be like to restore it and open it as a restaurant? Well, that's exactly what we'll be talking about today. I travelled to Mingary Castle on the west coast of Scotland on the Ardnamurchan estate. There I met with Chef Colin Nicholson and his partner, General Manager Jessica Thompson, who have set about making this restaurant with rooms a success despite the obvious challenges of its location. Jessica tells me how they ended up where they are and what their vision for the castle is. Colin explains why fine dining in such a remote situation has its challenges and how they use local produce and suppliers to bring the best to the table for their guests. I also spoke to Rachel Middleton who runs a local community garden with her partner, from which the castle sources much of its produce. I'm here at Mingary Castle and I've had a lovely dinner last night and a beautiful breakfast this morning. So we just want to find out a little bit about the venue, the location and what's going on here. So could you just tell me a little bit about the castle to start off with? Yeah, of course. So my partner and I, Colin Nicholson, have been running the castle since last year. So we moved to the area and started getting the castle ready last January in 2021 but we opened officially on the 18th of May as a restaurant with rooms so my partner and I we lease the castle off of the owner of the estate Donald Houston so he's had the estate for about 25 years so we lease the castle but we run our own business as a restaurant with rooms through the castle now so we're a four bedroom operation and we have a 20 seater dining room we open Tuesday to Sunday for dinners we do a couple of um, lunch and afternoon teas a month as well which is really popular with the local community. We're in a lovely wood panelled room and the castle's quite striking when you first drive up to it it's kind of set on a cliff edge but what was it that apart from these things what was it that drew you to running this as a business? Uh, Very unique location we've always wanted to do our own thing so we really couldn't turn down the opportunity to operate such a yeah unique venue there's probably a lot of ruins that you see in Scotland that you'd never imagine doing something like this with so it's been restored amazingly between 2013 and 2016 a lot of money and time and love was spent restoring the castle and yeah we loved the opportunity to be able to look after it and love it and run it as our own business. Very unique location. I don't think there's anywhere like it in Scotland at the moment and 
but yeah, a lot of oak panelling, cruel fabrics, antiques, but it's got a nice sort of modern feel to it as well. And it must have a really interesting history. Yes, very interesting. Um, I mean, it's a late 12th, early 13th century castle, and it was fought over by four main clans, so McKeans, McDonald's, McDougall's and McCain's. So the rooms are all named after them as well. Yes, yeah, as you say, it's, it is really modern and it's, it's lovely. It's one of those things, though, when you see it, you think, I bet you that's haunted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I try not to think of that too much, mm. and I normally let the guests tell me any stories that they might have in the morning. <laughs> we don't have any stories. It's been it's been lovely so far. So what's your background? Like, How did you get into what you're doing? Yes, um, well, I'm from Newest in the Western Isles, and when I left school I worked at Langus Lodge um, which was a hunting, shooting and fishing lodge and I studied a wee SVQ in hospitality management there as well. Worked for a year and then went off to Australia with Colin for two years and New Zealand for a year and worked at some really lovely sort of five star resort venues and country houses as well and yeah just really got into to fine dining, hospitality, love learning about wine and when I came back to Scotland, I went to Inverlochy Castle um, in Fort William as a restaurant manager for three years. So had a really great exposure there as well. It's a much bigger hotel, 17 bedrooms. But yeah, you get a lot of exposure to all sides, not just the restaurant. But I learned a lot there and I did my WSET levels one and two. So I learned a lot about wine and got really into wine there so yeah always been in hospitality from a young age I think my first job was sort of when I was 14 washing dishes and at Langus and then when I went uh, when I left school I started working full-time there at 17 so yeah I've always really enjoyed it and always been involved in hospitality so yeah tying it all together and using all of the experience that I've had here at Mingiri Castle and yeah making it our own. (laughs) And so obviously you said it was too good an opportunity to give up but what has it been like opening up and setting up at the tail end of the pandemic? I think we've been very lucky really because when we opened on May the 18th we've stayed open we haven't had to go through any lockdowns and you know should it have been a few months earlier it might have been a bit of a more challenging start I think definitely with our guests and things last year it was a little bit quieter because it was mostly staycations as opposed to international guests but we've been yeah very lucky and we have a good team working with us there's about eight of us and yeah we've been nice and busy really since we opened last year the start of this season was a little bit quieter but really picking up now so there was challenges at the beginning you know just after the pandemic obviously some things taking longer when opening like trying to get things sort of delivered and everything it's been very good it's quite a unique location how does the location shape the experience in terms of the food as well as everything else I think after a long journey here um, with very windy single track roads some of our guests arrive and they're a little bit frazzled in a way but as soon as they drive up and see the castle they begin to relax and and realize that it's such a unique location I think it's a very warm and welcome approach and welcome when the guests arrive to the castle and I think as soon as they walk through the sort of drawbridge they begin to relax and once they see the warm and cosy sort of setting and how friendly all the staff are and our dining experience as well is 
it's fine dining, but it's it's not too pretentious. It's very relaxed. Our team are lovely, very interactive with the guests, and just like to make everyone feel welcome and relaxed and at home in our in our castle. So I think this really adds to the the dining experience and the food. Would you like to just talk us through a little bit about the food offering here at the castle? Yeah, so we offer a six course, well, six to eight course fine dining menu. We do focus a lot on vegetables and fruit from the community garden or we use the local fishermen for langoustines and lobsters. We use a small butchers and forests who have their own farm. So we have a big ethos on knowing where our produce comes from. And I think that's a an important thing for when a guest is dining that they are being able to ask questions and we're able to answer where certain things are coming from and we just want to make everyone feel comfortable when they're here especially after the drive that once they are halfway through their meal they kind of just forget about that drive altogether so and uh, what's your background how did you get into chefing so i was working a summer job in Langus Lodge. I worked with John Buchanan there while I was at school. Um, I was going to go be a math teacher and then I did a summer job with him and I enjoyed it so much that I decided to pursue a career in, as a chef. Um, I decided to change what degree I was going to do at university. I went to university to do hotel and hospitality management but I missed being in the kitchen, so I left that and I went to Langus Lodge and did my SVQ professional cookery. I worked at Loch Lomond Golf Club with Darren Harrison. I went and worked on cruise ships and then I ended up going back to Langus for three years where I met Jess. And then after that, we went to Australia, worked in some lovely places there and same in New Zealand. And then we came back and I worked at Arasig House for two years. I managed to get two visits there within six months. And then I managed to get a job as head chef at Inverlochy Castle. I was there for about six months before the lockdown happened, first lockdown. Um, and I managed to be able to retain their three visits there. Are you aiming for more accolades like, you know, Michelin we... star perhaps? Well, we just want to see how it goes because we're just, um, we're still learning. Like last year, we were just finding our feet with what we wanted to do. When we opened, we were just a bit unsure about what we wanted to do, what we wanted to achieve. And then this year, we brought in another chef. And so now I have three in the kitchen. So I'm able to build on my team and see what they're able to do before actually being able to push for more accolades. How's it been with staff and things? I mean, obviously things have been a bit tough for everyone, but this location is also quite remote. Has it been? Yeah, so we were very lucky. Last year I had my friend David who came and helped me for the season. And then he went away and he's got a head chef job in Inverness. So this year I was on the search for two chefs. So that was quite a struggle. But I've managed to find two local people who don't have much fine dining experience, but I was able to talk them into working here and learning and building on what I think they can achieve. They've been amazing since they came on. They've improved daily. Yeah, it's been great. <laughs> Lucky. And do you find these days as well, diners are more interested than maybe they were, say, five, ten years ago in the provenance of things? 
Yes, I think so. Especially with lockdown, um, everyone was struggling to find what they needed at the local supermarket. So they're going to local farm shops or they're going to local markets or whatever. Um, and they're trying to use more local as possible. It might be a bit more expensive, but that, you know, you know what you're getting, you know where it's come from, you know the love that's gone into it. Um, and I think that is what a lot of diners are, you know, interested in. Yeah, especially in the last five five years, I've seen a big difference. Um, in Australia and New Zealand, that was already happening over there. Everyone knew exactly where their stuff was coming from. It's, it's a big culinary scene, knowing exactly if someone says uh, Murray liver cod, then they know exactly where it comes from. And yeah, it's the same in Scotland. What are the plans for the future? We're just going to keep building on what we are doing here at the restaurant, getting our name out there, making sure that we're a food destination, that people are not just coming to visit the local area, but coming to visit the food, uh, knowing that they come here, that the food um, is at a high standard with a lot of other places in Scotland. Um, it's a hidden gem, we like to call it. Um, and then push forward with their accolades. But we also have side ideas with like, I would like to do like a small bakery or a small kind of, um, there's a lot of self-caterings in the area. So we'd like to kind of build on that kind of the ready meal idea. So I have lots of ideas to build on what we're doing here. And some of the stuff is from the community garden. Is that exactly what it says in the tent? Is it a garden that people in the community can use? Yeah, so there's a couple that come and they've kind of taken it on as their own. They live off the land and they live in a caravan in the community garden. So they basically run it for the season. They get some volunteers from the community. So that makes it the community garden. Everyone comes in, helps, and they kind of can pick their own. But the two people, Rachel and Ted, they're basically managing the garden and able to give us produce, you know, just freshly picked that morning. Or if they want to grow something for me, then I can, you know, buy them seeds and they'll grow it for me and stuff like that. So it is exactly what it is. And it's a community garden. It's only four miles away, which is sounds a lot for someone from the city, but it's <laughs> not far for us. Yeah. No, I think they're becoming all the rage because there's someone just up the road from me that started one and you think... It's nice, middle of Glasgow, but yeah, I think the way things are going, it's probably going to become more and more common. Yeah. Do you open, or you do you have like exclusive use events? Like, could someone come and have a small wedding here, or is it? Yeah, really? so we actually in two weeks' time we have a small wedding for fourteen people, exclusive use for three nights, and then we have a bigger wedding of fifty-five at the beginning of October. So we generally can't. We can't take more than 20 in the restaurant, but we can have a small marquee out in the front of the garden at the castle. Obviously, we're, and we've talked about the location. It's lovely and fair to see relatively remote. So if people come and stay, what can they expect from the menus? Do they, do they change? What is it? What can, could add down here like three nights, basically? Yeah, so we have um, three different menus. So we have on a Tuesday, it's menu one, Wednesday's menu two, menu three on Thursday, and then rotates back to menu one. So like we have three snacks, we have a bread course, we have a vegetable star, we have a fish course, we have a meat course, we have a cheese course, and we have dessert, and we have three petty fours, but we have to do that three times. So that's, so that's overall, that's nine snacks, uh, three different breads, three different vegetable starters, three different fish, three mains, etc. 
So I'm a bit jealous of sometimes some of the restaurants in Scotland who are doing the same menu every day, but we're trying to do, you know, like a really high standard of cooking, but we're doing it with three different menus. So every day we almost have to start all over again. We have to ensure that we are getting fresh produce when we can. We get the fishermen who dropped off langoustines yesterday. Um, we have them coming in again today, dropping off lobsters. Um, we have fish coming in again on Friday for the weekend. So, And then the community garden dropped off the vegetables yesterday. For us, it's quite uh, challenging if something doesn't come in or something's out of stock or we have to think on our feet and we have to, you know, adapt. And is, is it also challenging for people, for example, if someone's vegan and you've got this menu, do you then think, oh, what am I going to do? Or, or obviously a good experience will mean that you know what to do, but is it is it more of a challenge? It is more of a challenge, but we have learned a lot over the last 18 months that there is a lot more vegan or vegetarian or even dietary requirements. Like last night we had someone who was dairy-free, but we just adapt and we always ensure that our standard doesn't drop, even if they are vegan. So yeah, we have adapted a lot and we always ensure our guests feels that we have put in that extra effort for them and they don't feel like they're losing out. I thought you were going to say there was someone last night who didn't eat lamb or carry and I was like, me? <laughs> that would have been a problem if it's tomorrow night. <laughs> so yeah, so last night's menu is not tonight. You're doing a whole different menu yes, tonight and then correct. a whole different menu tomorrow. tomorrow night and then back to one. Yeah. Okay. Colin and I went on a visit to the community garden shop on a very windy day so he could show me what's available. So we've just come to the community garden shop which is open for anyone to go past. Um, so it's just a little little shed and that's open eight months of the year. So they just kind of put in fresh produce every day and everyone can just pop in and uh, there's an honesty box. And they've also got cuttings here and the black currant cuttings. So. Can I take these home and grow it in a flat without a garden? <laughs> or is that a bit ambitious? been oh, wow. quite a few people in already because this is on the way to the lighthouse so there can be quite a few people uh, driving past with camper vans so they'll be looking for stuff they can cook. We have, there's char, there's some fresh herbs. They've got some fresh lots uh, which we have at the castle which we're just drying out a wee bit more cucumbers which was on your mackerel dish last night and there's some courgettes and we asked them for the courgette flowers which will be on our langoustine dish tonight and we have kale which we use sometimes on breakfast fresh salad leaves there's chanterelle mushrooms which were on your venison dish last night and they're forage from a local painter who's really enthusiastic with his foraging so he's now been selling them here as well as selling them with us and as you can see, there's an August price list and what's available. And so for everyone else, it's a bit like a sort of very natural, seasonal, ready, steady cook. You come in here and this is what's available. But obviously, you do you know when you ask for certain things? Uh, sometimes. Um, I know from last year. Last year was a bit more difficult because I didn't know what they were growing. But this year, I've kind of had more of an idea of what's coming in. And then it's the same couple that are going that are here this year who are going to be here next year so we've already started talking about what we're using a lot more of so they can grow a bit more for us next year but they normally message me on a saturday and then they deliver on a tuesday pick it tuesday morning and then if i need be i can get more on the weekend or i can come here and pick it as well so and it's pretty big like looking at the window and see their caravan there's a big poly tunnel and there's like a kind of another kind of outbuilding but 
There's a lot. So they've got um, some orchards as well. So they've just dropped off some apples to us yesterday. So I'll be moving one of my desserts over to an apple dessert. They have difficulty with rabbits, so that's also <laughs> a problem. So apples are a bit easier because they're a bit taller. But I know you've not done this for very long, but has there been a kind of glut of anything and you've thought, I cannot look at another, I don't know, plum or... <laughs> You know how sometimes gardens can go mad with some things and you think I've made everything I possibly can. Well, that was kind of like last year when I just got given like 40 kilos of apples <laughs> <laughs> because they couldn't do anything with them or they were slightly bruised or everything. So I actually made like an apple juice, like an apple compote. Again, I didn't want to see any apples <laughs> again for quite a while. But it's the same with peas and broad beans as well because you know, love the idea but then having to pod them all and everything is quite repetitive and is there anything that you particularly look forward to from the the seasons and what you can get yeah i love this time of year with you know the courgette flowers which we we stuff with a langoustine and fish mousse for the menu tonight and then we also use the cucumber flowers which are really lovely and then the cucumbers themselves but hopefully next week we'll have tomatoes so things are growing a little bit slower here um, as you can tell, it's a wee bit colder here, um, so things grow slower. Um, I'm looking forward to brassica season, um, which will be coming up soon with um, cauliflowers, uh, broccoli, um, kales, all that kind of stuff. More wintery things. And the hunger gap, is that ever an issue in like January, February? Well, we're lucky we're closed. Oh, nice. <laughs> So we're closed January, February, March, so we don't have that hunger gap, which is quite good. But we're lucky that we have some good suppliers for November, December. So I was speaking to the couple. They, they'll be leaving in November, but they'll have stuff in the ground, and they just said, just come and pick what you want. Mm. Um, so they'll have things in the ground that I can just come and, come and get. Uh, one of the things I meant to ask you about, your oyster ice cream. Yes. That was, how do you even begin to come up with something like that? Well, it's actually something I had at a restaurant in Australia and I've always been wanting to try and reinvent it to how I wanted it to kind of taste. I love the taste of it there, but for me it would taste a bit more sweet. Um, so this time I really wanted to, you know, showcase the oyster, so I kind of infused it a lot more with oyster. It was so nice, but it was really unexpected. Like, do you get some people who are a bit like, oh, I'm not sure? Yeah, we get that. It's always one of those love-hate relationships with the oyster ice cream. Because we know we have, we get oysters from our fish supplier, but, you know, if we get some left over, which we don't want, we can't keep, then I just turn them into ice cream. So they are making... I'm making use of things that we normally throw away mm -hmm. by putting them into something like an ice cream. We took a wander down to the community garden so he could show me the types of vegetables, fruit and herbs being grown that he uses in his menus. Rachel and Ted, they also do like deliveries on Fridays. And just see one of the strawberries gone by the bird. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not just rabbits, it's also birds with the strawberries. So they deliver like veg boxes on a Friday to the local village. So there's, I think it's like five or six pound a week. And then they just give you what's available, which is quite nice. I was going to say it must be good for kids, but then if you live here, you probably do know where everything's coming from. Whereas if you're living in the middle of Glasgow and you've never left Glasgow, you probably don't know. Yeah, I've got like, I've got a young boy who's just going into S1. He wanted to make some pocket money this year so he got some chickens so I get eggs from him 
and because I use so many, he's actually got quite a lot more chickens. Um, but he just got first prize at the, one of the local shows for his eggs. So now I can call them award-winning eggs <laughs> for the menu. So. And they were good with the ones this morning from yeah, breakfast. Yeah, they were yeah. really yellow. Really yellow, yeah. yeah. Nice. So we're just walking in amongst... These will be the crochets because I recognise the flowers. Yeah, the There's some red onions um, just coming up there. There's some strawberry plants here, but you just saw one of the birds has got away with some. <laughs> even with the netting, they're still managing to get in. Potatoes here, we got potatoes left over from a few weeks ago, and that was used to make the potato focaccia that you had last night. Oh yeah, nice. So. On our stroll, we bumped into Rachel, one of the caretakers of the garden, as she was happily tending to crops. I asked her how she came to take up the position of caretaker of the community garden and what her hopes for next year's yield will be. My partner Ted and I were on holiday here last year. We'd thought about woofing, so working on organic farms in Europe. And then we met Luton Evo, who were the previous gardeners here. And we thought it seemed like a great opportunity. So yeah, we decided to move up here. And you're from Bristol? I'm from the northeast originally, but we were living in Bristol before. A huge change because I was working as a secondary school teacher. Oh, wow. But yeah, we wanted to do something different. So yeah, and this is a great place to learn. The infrastructure is all here, so we're kind of free to grow what we want. And there's already a good market locally, mm-hmm. obviously selling to Mingery Castle, but also locals who get veg boxes and there's a market in Kilhoen. So yeah, there's already lots of kind of places to sell the produce. So can you just sort of explain what we're looking at in here? In the polytunnel at the moment we've got a lot of summer crops so courgettes, cucumbers, tomatoes, french beans as well as lots of leaf crops so spinach, lettuce, we've got some pak choys almost ready, chard and some herbs as well so basil, parsley. I was admiring your blackcurrant cuttings up here. <laughs> well all the soft fruit grows really well here so blackcurrants, uh, redcurrants, whitecurrants, we've had loads of strawberries and um, we've got apple and plum trees as well so yeah the fruit is amazing. So you stay here to a certain point and then go away yeah. and then come back next year? Yeah that's the plan so probably staying here until late October time um, and then coming back in February so yeah we actually sowed the seeds for I don't think any of the crops in here, but crops outside like cabbage and all the onions, was, leeks were sown cause kind of mid-February time in the tunnel. And is there anything here that you're quite surprised at that grows? Uh, well, the tunnel's a really protected space, so we expected things to grow well in here. I suppose I have been quite surprised by the fruit. Often if you could get berries or anything in a supermarket, they are imported. So that is quite surprising, I find. I guess just the quantity as well. Like earlier in the year before these summer crops, we had a lot more leaf crops in the tunnel. So I think we harvested 25 kilos of spinach we sold from about a third of this bed here where the cucumbers are. So I suppose the quantities of things that you can produce inside is quite amazing, really. And what is there anything you would do differently next year or do you want to do next year? Yeah, definitely a few things. So we're not going to grow peppers or chilies. We also had aubergine over there until about a week ago and all the flowers just kept dropping off. It just hasn't been hot enough. So all the greens, we cut them as leaves and then they regrow. So they're really good for us because they just keep producing over a long time. So probably do more leaf crops instead of those in the tunnel. 
also trying to work on having a more constant supply of salad during the summer season. We found that quite challenging. In June and July, the days are really long and that means that the plants bolt quite quickly. We found that lettuce, we were at maximum production probably April and May when actually the majority of tourists who really want to eat a lot of salad in the kind of summer months of July and August. So next year, we'd like to try and get that. How did the community garden come about? The garden was set up with a Scottish government fund called the Climate Challenge Fund to reduce food miles in the local area. And there are lots of examples of community gardens that were set up with that fund throughout Scotland. Yeah, it's a really interesting thing to kind of have a look at and see maybe if there's a community garden in your area. And that is interesting because one just popped up around the corner from me and I've always wondered how and why and who's done it. So Yeah, so it was set up in 2010 and a couple of people locally applied for the grant for the Climate Challenge Fund and it was quite a big grant so they got a large sum of money that had to be spent within the year so they used that to put in all the infrastructure like the polytunnel and the beds and to employ a couple of people for the season as well. And the land that we're on is leased to the garden by a local crofter. So it's really down to her that the community garden has the land. And then since then, it's operated on a few different models. So for a while, as I understand it, different members of the community kind of rented space in the garden. And then it moved to a model where there was kind of people here more permanently who would grow as much as they can and then keep the money from the produce sold as their income. So that's the kind of model that we're working on now but we still have community involvement so volunteering every Friday afternoon which is pretty well attended all year round so that's really important as well. Ted and I really like it because it's a really sociable end to the week. Thank you very much. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks to my guests on this episode and thanks to you for listening. Please remember to rate, review and subscribe. Scran is a logical podcast that's co-produced and hosted by me, Rosalind Erskine, and co-produced, edited and mixed by Kelly Crichton.